Then you'll find some other items down here just going down through to ensure that they meet the weapon system safety standards set up by the Department of Defense. And these are, you see them down under C. One, positive measures to prevent nuclear weapons from producing a nuclear yield when they're not directed to do so. That's the first one. Two, it's a positive measure to prevent, and here's these little keyword phrases, deliberate or inadvertent pre-arming, arming, launching, firing or releasing of nuclear weapons. When you get to the wing, you're going to have to do a certification in front of the wing commander. And this is one of the things you're going to talk about are weapon system safety rules. And you're going to need to be able to roll that right off your tongue and be able to explain what it means to prevent the deliberate or inadvertent pre-arming, arming, launching, firing, or releasing of a nuclear weapon. You see how those, those code components we talked about that one day fit into that? That's their job. That's their job. Unless those actions are directed by a competent authority or upon execution of the emergency war order. That's the only time that a deliberate release is authorized. When we have received emergency war orders that are authorizing the releasing of nuclear weapons from a competent authority, then that's when we'll be able to do it. Welcome to Wiseman Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Glennis, and I'm here with my co-host, Arlen Golden. How are you doing, Arlen? Hey, Sean. I'm, uh, I'm doing my best early on a Saturday after uh, a devastating Bulls loss to Chase Center. Uh, my condolences. Thank um, you. Yeah. Appreciate it. There was there was a a nuclear strike on the uh, Chicago Bulls. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so we are here to talk about the 1987 Wiseman film uh, Missile, although sometimes uh, credited as 1988 because it did air in mm-hmm. August of 1988 on uh, PBS. Um, this is uh, where Wiseman shot 60 hours of film at uh, Vandenberg, California uh, Strategic Air Command Base. Um, and uh, the film is about the 4315th Training Squadron. Um, so basically we're watching these people prepped to man the uh, nuclear missiles should nuclear warfare start. Um, but, uh, I mean, we don't have to jump right into it, but I did want to say up top that it's interesting that that we have just gone from the deaf and blind series where we heard a lot of rhetoric about like how Russia's horrible <laughs> and yeah. how free the U S is. And then yeah. he goes straight into this, look into the bowels of, of this American missile base. Yeah. So this is a, a look at the, uh, 14 week training course. And I'm, I'm not sure if Wiseman stayed for the whole course, but we do see what, what looks like classes towards the beginning. And then, um, right. And then, and then we see two women uh, in the troop pass their test at the end. So once again, we have like this sort of structure guided by a traditional trajectory, much like maneuver and uh, basic training. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say the same thing. It kind of has this Oh, sure, built, sure. Built. I was. I had chronological dash war films here. <laughs> but I mean, it is this baked in thing, right? Like, yeah. like that 
I don't know why it's the war films that get this sort of <laughs> linear treatment, right? But yeah. it, it, it is kind of baked in each time. You know, you start the maneuver, you end the maneuver, you start basic training, you graduate, you go off to war. You know, like it's this 14-week program. Like, So it is baked in, but you think about any of his films could kind of have a similar linearity, you know, oh, high, yeah, school high school could have, have certainly, you know, like, um, uh, uh, so why, why does he choose that here? You know? And, and I think maybe we could talk about his sight and soundless a little bit that has <laughs> a lot of, uh, slapstick on it, but, but also has uh, some more films and maybe it's, the influence of like the history of war cinema war narrative cinema that you know uh we we talk a lot about how he's in the using the language and grammar of of a hollywood narrative cinema to subversive often effect um and i think that's very much the case in in this series of of uh, military films um and we'll talk about some specific scenes later but but you know having uh, the easy narrative of wars, most American war films, right? Uh, we're the good guys, we do the fighting, and then we win. You know, mm-hmm. all, all of these films have so much more uh, vagueness and muddying of the waters to that, like, ready cinematic narrative um, that uh, maybe structuring the films in this way draws further attention to that and, and creates like this uh, dialectic in the viewer. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Grant talks about uh, very well. He, he writes about um, in, in the chapter that missile is in about how his military films reflect on our understanding of uh, war cinema. Um, and we talk a little bit about that with Dan, but um, had you seen missile before? Before this, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, where, where, when was that? Uh, it like it a was a time ago. Not no no, it was like a year ago, maybe not maybe not even. Uh, Bernadette got it for me for Christmas one year. Uh, gotcha. And one of those Zipporah gift boxes, which they didn't have this year. Oh boy, maybe he was too busy doing restorations. I I hear. Hey, they are their forthcoming. I'm not going to buy any more DVDs. I'm sitting tight. No. But but um. Uh, an interview with uh, Jake Milligan, Mulligan. Um, can I get a Mulligan on that pronunciation? Um, <laughs> uh, at Dig Boston, um, just came out yesterday. Uh, as of this recording, um, I don't know. Did you read this interview? I, did, yet? I didn't. I saw you post it, but I didn't read it. No. Uh, yeah, it's, it's very good, um, as one would expect from Jake. But um, uh, he Wiseman does say that he's done with nineteen titles. I believe of 35 that he's doing. Oh, there's uh, so many more. He said we were, he, we were supposed to have them by I now. Know. <laughs> he said, he said spring. He wants to be done in the spring. Okay. So we'll see. Don't, don't set your clocks by it. Yeah, certainly not. Cert, uh, cer- certainly not your, uh, military time clocks. Yeah. There you go. yeah. Um, but, uh, I guess, uh, while we're on this tangent, um, we we did see the sight and sound list come out, and mm-hmm. um, one Mister Fred Wiseman was not on the top one hundred. Were you expecting no. him to be? No, I guess you know we we talked a lot uh, when we first were invited to submit ballots about his like inherent disadvantage, uh, both in like accessibility of his films and in like the 
just like wide body of work with so many great ones and especially with a turn towards I think a lot more kind of um, idiosyncratic and personalized canon building you know people are are want to choose different ones as their favorite you know i saw mm-hmm. uh um, primate some, was on yeah exactly primate uh and ballet. high school ballet yeah, exactly so so i don't know we weissman squad in 10 years we need to coordinate uh <laughs> we need we need a consensus weissman represented yeah and film. obviously yeah welfare welfare is the one that i expect to um, be the highest once we get the the rest of the list. I'm sure yeah. that that it. I think it'll be on top 250. Wouldn't yeah. it be funny if he called missile warfare? I was thinking about the name of it. Yeah, like because you know, I th- I think uh, was it Barry Keith Grant who was noticed noting um, it's a film of the absence of subject. You know, yeah, we we, we never see a real miss. We see uh, we see that one decommissioned one that's kind of in the center of a roundabout. You know, that's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. almost like a, a mascot for the community. Right. Yeah. Uh, um. But you know, maybe before before we get back into the film, some something I wanted to just pose to you about. The documentaries that did make it in the top 100, you know, I, I, I tweeted about it, but like, they're all can be categorized, I think. Um, and we gained two docs uh, this round. It was it was Gleaners and I and um, uh, News from Home, right? The Ackerman film. Mm-hmm. Um, and they can all be described in their approach as essayistic, I think. Very and, personal. And, and yeah. def- definitely not... Um, uh, direct cinema or cinema verite, you know, they're, they're not really films, uh, about documenting, you know, lives or events of, of other people. What was the other one besides my man with a movie camera? Um, well, let's see, there's Shoah, you oh, know, Shoah, which right, is the right. closest. Um, we, I think there, uh, Sans Soleil, uh, is right. in there as well. And, um, shoot one one more uh that's kind of along oh i mean uh depends how you're going to categorize close up oh right right, right. Um, close up. but but i i wonder what that's about you know uh not not kind of the documentary people maybe first think of when you think of a documentary or maybe they do i don't know or maybe that certainly for this voting body but like i was kind of positing maybe it has to do with uh the way documentary is conceived of in relation to narrative film and right. in relation of film kind of just criticism and viewership. Um, and that these films, uh, definitely something different. Right? Well, they have more of this altruistic quality yeah, to them. Right. They're all very much like conscious works of the, the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. Um, but but in a very literal you know way where there there's a lot of narration or they're like uh, put themselves in front of the camera or um, you know there's they're just like non literal non linear literal storytelling uh, but I mean Weissman does all the same things right just not in such plain terms you know like they're like if anybody in uh, documentary cinema could be considered to be altruistic, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, so, so I, uh, I do wonder what that might be about, you know, you think about, we were talking just now about like Harlan County or even hoop dreams or, you know, um, any number of, of great 
verite, you know, established kind of classics, um, not being in this top 100. Um, do you, do you have any super size? Or... Uh, <laughs> no, I don't really think about it as much as you do. Um, yeah. which is fine. I mean, I appreciate your thoughts. It's but, not okay. Um, it's not yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I'm just, I, I, I appreciate what, what you're saying, but, um, but no, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, the canopy deal was 2017, so it's been five years, and so I mean, canopy is not everywhere, though. You know, that's true. Like, you that's know. true. So, yeah. so I mean, something a lot. I think a lot of people were noting and talking about was like the Criterion connection um, to the list. Um, oh, and, oh, yeah. You know, like like the how many films are in the Criterion collection. Um, and I don't know, you know, there, there was some speculation because of that, um, criterion closet thing you talk about later that maybe this restoration set he's working on could be a criterion release, but like, gee whiz, what that would do to like <laughs> propel him into like viewership and the camera. You know? <laughs> oh, oh, I'm going to be hitting up whoever the like press person yeah. is. When that drops and be like, hello, uh, I co-host a show called Weissman Podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that would be insane, but I'm not going to count my chickens uh, on yeah. that. But, but, but yeah. I mean, you know, I think I think the another knock, uh, aside from the wide body of work yeah. against his inclusion, is just accessibility, right? Sure, sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um so again, before we get really into missile, I did want to point out that you watched a lot of um, movies around sure. missile. Yeah. Um, can you talk about what you watched? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Well, like I watched uh, three films: um, Doctor Strangelove, which is pretty obvious. Um, you know, Mamber brings it up straight away, uh -huh. uh, and it's also discussed by uh, Benson Anderson and Barry Keith Grant. Uh, probably some other reviewers I'm not remembering too, but um, you know that's kind of the preeminent nuclear absurdity film, you know, right? So um, and then I watched Miracle Mile, uh, which Great came out movie. the same year, I, I believe. Yeah, yep, yep. Um, so so dealing with the same sort of like psychic impact of like uh, spontaneous nuclear holocaust, you know, that this film does. Um, and then turned on uh, by Benson and Anderson's piece, I, I watched Strategic Air Command, the Anthony Mann film starring one Jimmy of the Stewart. Many Mann Stewart collaborations, but not one that people really talk about. And for like good reason, like I mean, like it's it's just kind of boring propaganda. Uh, though, though confusing as a recruitment tool, I don't know that it, <laughs> it the Jimmy Stewart ends up like, uh, being someone you want, you want to pursue being It's like, funny that the Hollywood reporter review called the students, Jimmy Stewart types. It is very, I noted that as well. Very like without middle, making an actual yeah. connection. Right. But recommend. so I think, I think in thinking about these three films in relation to missile, um, it, the central conflict is is how we reckon with like our total lack of control in the face of the reality of like the cold war and the potential for nuclear holocausts like um 
in in Doctor Strange Love, you know, it's the war room and the president trying to recall you know this this false attack which you know the film opens with a disclaimer card i'm sure at the behest of the government you know saying like there are procedures and practices in place to prevent something like this from ever happening and like missile is kind of the illustration of that card you Mm -hmm. know trying Mm -hmm. uh, essentially you know you could put that in front of strange love um but ultimately of course you know their inability to recall uh, all of the planes and the onset of nuclear holocaust you know miracle mile is this very personal um narrative about the same thing you know he's trying to maintain control save himself save his girl uh get to the chopper in the midst of an escalating realization of the reality of what's happening you know it it starts Mm -hmm. with a rumor almost and it ends with a a certainty you know um i had no idea what the movie was about when i started watching it it was a great experience yeah yeah well i i'll I'll try and talk about it uh, a little less because you know might (laughs) might not be on on everyone's radars but it's definitely a great film and uh one of the only one one of the only other films uh written by the author of strange brew uh, <laughs> um, and then yeah strategic air command you know even that there's still this conflict because they're bringing jimmy stewart back into the air force uh from his career in baseball uh you know it's kind of like a one last job sort of situation nice. but but very much establishing you know there's no combat in the film at all it's all about kind of like the majesty of flying and this idea of nuclear deterrence you know like like even in this early film and this idea i think i mentioned this later as well like uh, is that that we have to be prepared to keep the peace like we are the peacemakers you know by being the ones in possession of like the deadliest weapons ever conceived right like and uh so so yeah but he uh initially doesn't want to you know be recalled back and and he thought he left that behind and then you know as you might expect from a piece of uh 50s propaganda he becomes gung-ho and he uh you know decides to continue longer than he had initially hoped to do um but so (laughs) well i think i think as it relates to missile like it's this uh giving in or like um wanton like self-subjugation you know to the ideology and the system you know you you gain control by letting yourself be absolved uh into the actual like system of control you know sure sure um so so there's this constant conflict in all of these films because in reality right none of us have control like if if it's gonna happen it's gonna happen and there's nothing we could do about it and you know you think about like uh we're not even a century into nuclear weapons you know uh it's only been used the Mm -hmm. two notable times um but like you know you never know but like like so we we continue to be in this place of a total lack of control but like how do we go on about our lives you know with that in mind and i think i think um these films kind of all illustrate that to different extremes Interesting. Um, that brings brings to mind um, 
I guess before we do the the contemporaneous reviews, that that there's a difference between watching Missile in 1988 versus watching it now, right? Mm -hmm. Like even though even though you know we're still like you said like not that far removed, um, and you never know like you know there was discussions earlier this year about the possibility, Um, but but you can tell from thoughts like from writing about it that was contemporaneous that uh the you feel a discomfort from some of the reviewers and who are just like put at unease while watching yeah. it in ways that that we aren't now you, you're you're forced to confront it head on right you yeah. know like like you have to think about it these topics there's no way around it even though they're so frequently talked around and not directly addressed in the language that all the instructors and and military people use right um they're all talking around it but they're all know what they're talking around it's it's this like again like reading between the lines kind of thing you don't have to say what a nuclear weapon launch can can uh result in it's just like inherently understood because like where it's pounded into us this possibility from near birth right mm-hmm. like like dan will later talk about atomic cafe which just like through archival montage just like illustrates that through the decades yeah uh and i want to i want to get get to that point of like this there, there's a, a notcoming.com article uh, about how I think the author's name is David Carter mm-hmm. about how he calls this a uh, a work of implication, which kind of goes into what you're talking about. Um, he says that the film appears to lack conflict or resolution, but yeah. but that that's a, a very superficial reading. And but he he says that the film externalizes its narrative that uh, kind of like Wiseman's quote that you uh, mm-hmm. mentioned in in the second half. Um, that it only exists in the audience's mind, uh, which is to say that Wiseman never addresses the gravity of the situation. I mean, partly because, like you're saying, the people like that he's filming don't address the gravity of the situation, but we recognize it. We know it's there. Um, and so uh, it, it is this very, very strange movie. Um, and uh, I think Benson and Anderson write about this too, basically kind of saying that it's a challenging film and challenging in the sense that it, it's challenging the viewer to reflect upon Wiseman's construction of this this place where they're they're talking around things, um, but also uh, you're reflecting about uh, about all of the contexts uh, that are going on at the time, and also the other texts that it's in conversation with. Some of which you just talked about, but um, so I don't know. It's even hard to describe. I don't even know if that makes sense, um, but it is a work of implication, which is just to say that there's so much about this film that is found in like the, the pregnant, uh, um, the pregnant, uh, text of it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just, uh, not said. Yeah. I mean, well, it's first off, it's just great to have uh, another piece by Benson and Anderson, uh, back to to help guide us, you know, that was, that was a fun discovery. Um, and it's kind of a classic one and reminded me of Mm -hmm. of the high school double bind uh, Mm -hmm. piece in a few ways, because we get these great diagrams that do, uh, kind of what they do best, which is like demystifying what's in operation here. And, and, you know, like, 
explicitly articulating all these things we kind of intuitively know are are happening but are are just kind of under the surface and we're not really thinking about it and like you know the way there's like one diagram they have like just kind of rectangles layered over each other you know yeah it's, i it's love that the, one the film as a text the film in relation to weissman's other films dialectical the, yeah, yeah the film in relation to the genre of nuclear films and then like the film in relation to like the societal contexts you know that right, we right. inhabit as viewers and like just like this beautiful illustration of the multiple meaning uh i that we talk about so much you know like there's so much happening simultaneously within one scene throughout this film and throughout all of his films uh, uh but let's just draw it out for you you know <laughs> like here it is yeah well um let's get to some of the reviews uh so that we can keep talking about what else is going on here if you don't mind um all right fine uh, so I, I already mentioned the Hollywood Reporter article, uh, by Dwayne Burge, mm-hmm. Dwayne Burge, <laughs> um, who mentions war games from 1983, um, and interestingly calls Davies lens unpassionate, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know what a passionate lens would look like in this <laughs> film, but, uh, but he, he says it's of interest and reveals some holes in the systems but basically reads it very surface level like many of these articles do yeah uh demanding and rigorous uh something we hear a lot of critics uh, say in these reviews uh but the the poster pull quote would probably be a fair and hard look in one of into one of the 20th century's most horrifying institutions you know <laughs> like yeah. Uh, and yeah it is it is very surface but like you know you think about yeah it's it's fair you know i, I think i'm not sure if this is one of the noted uh, writers that noted like uh, both sides can sort of feel like justified, you know, when they watch this film right, in, in right. different ways. That was, know. that was in the uh, variety article. Okay. By yeah, Owl, yeah. Um, who said, uh, it's not as interesting as, as his other works, but, um, but that makes it, uh, even scarier somehow. And, um, the, the author like awes at the loyalty that the, uh, um, nuclear warfare depends on um but they they say it's a chilling work and it's a testament to Wiseman that another viewer might be encouraged to recruit after watching it <laughs> yeah i mean which is again you know something we talk about later is like the uh self-selection of the pool of trainees here like the people who want to do this job right like and you think about somebody watching this and wanting to recruit uh, i don't know like i i can't see it i didn't feel that way but something else i i felt is like you know um this came up during the the like kind of opening seminar scene second scene um is like it's probably good that this isn't my job, right? <laughs> like, like for, for the institution, certainly for everyone broadly, not because I would turn the keys, but because like <laughs> I would be constantly grappling with the like actual Morality, ramifications yeah. of this. Like I, I would just like, I would get the clacks on, you know, the order would come down from the president and I'd be like, Oh God, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, and which is something, you know, like, um, I noted happens briefly in strange love 
when uh, Slim Pickens' plane crew initially gets uh, the order, uh, Slim Pickens kind of doubts it, you know, and is like, check that again, you know, like, do the do the transcribing or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, and then, you know, eventually uh, goes through with it to the end. Um, but, like, they're, for reasons we'll get into later, like, no possibility of questioning of that happening in right, in this right. film like that that's the that's the idea i guess along with the idea that like it's really driven home again the president's the only guy we have these fail safes in place but like even more than that driven home is that like these people will do it if called upon for sure um there is a write-up in for the u.s film fest which is uh, a yeah. sundance institution um, that at least recognizes that it's about a microcosm um, and says that uh, Wiseman is non-judgmental and lets us, lets us judge their morality. Yeah, who, who wrote that one again? The... I don't know if there is an author attached. Um, but yeah, I mean, U- U.S. Film Fest was Sundance just before it was called gotcha. Sundance. Um, so, you know, again, it's interesting. So this is a real Sundance picture. Well, it's interesting. Again, you know, we talk a lot about the discrepancy between the film reviews and the TV reviews, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. like, and, right, right. Um, the owl one came out of the, the Berlin, uh, film fest for instance. Oh, right. Um, um, uh, I think they noted it played at AFI fest in LA as well. Um, but yeah, so not knowing which one of these that came from. Um, I'll just kind of move on to one of the August uh, TV reviews from the LA Times, uh, Terry Atkinson, who calls this film typical of Weissman. Uh, he seems to be pretty critical of the film. Uh, he says, the chief fault of Weissman's format is not its slow pace, but the confusion caused by the insistence on a lack of narration which is like, you know, fighting words when talking about Weissman because, yeah. like, the example he uses is the test-taking instruction scene. There's one other area I want to get into, and that is, this is a last-ditch effort. When everything else fails, I'm going to show you some techniques that you can look for in testing. I'm going to hand you out a multiple-choice question. These are not on any missile topic. They're just a general, it's just a general topic question uh, test. And I want you to read those aloud for me. And what I'm going to show you here are just some simple testmanship techniques. I just came back from Alabama, and there was a, a fellow there who was an expert in writing tests and on how tests are written. He claims that he can take any test on any topic and do at least 70% just because he knows what to look for and how tests are constructed. And so what I'm going to do is give you some tips here. And I want to emphasize this is after everything else has failed, these are tips that will help you just improve your odds of guessing. Okay, Can't overemphasize the importance of good preparation and testmanship. If everything else fails, we'll try these techniques. Okay, okay. Read the first one there. A comedy is A, a sad play, B, a long book, C, a work, especially a play in which the characters undergo amusing distress and the action turns out well for the chief characters. D, an epic. Okay. Do you know the answer right off the top of your head? C. Okay, did you know that before you took this test? Yes. Okay. C is the right answer. And uh, the 
concept that I'm trying to get at here is that it's the longest answer. Okay. For some reason, psychologically, test writers make an error sometimes, and they'll, they'll say the best answer as the longest answer. So if you've got four choices and you just don't know, generally the longer answer is the yeah. correct answer. Okay. The context, he's like, is it really, you know, so blatant as it seems? He wants, like, an interview with the trainee, you know, to yeah, explain yeah. things, you know, like, but I think, as always, with Weissman, like, that's the point, right? Right, and he talks about how difficult it can be to get, to get a hold of, of what Weissman's after, and, and instead of doing his job as a critic and, like, analyzing the film, he just keeps, like, hedging his bets and saying, it seems like this, it seems like this. Mm-hmm. And um, it's basically just kind of like divesting his duty. It's just like, well, I'm not going to do my job unless you give me an interview to tell me how to parse this this movie. Exactly. Yeah. You. I mean, which is just the frustrating thing often in engagement with Weissman. You know, like like it's. Uh, I I feel like you know people who watch a lot of films like this is something that's uh, just par for the course right you know kind mm-hmm. of an active viewership you know reading into meaning uh trying to parse what what's at play uh but for whatever reason when people turn on a doc like they are expected this like just like absorption of information you know yeah. like uh uh the the ambiguity in a doc i guess for for some people can almost seem like a, a contradiction right like docs shouldn't be ambiguous they should tell you what's actually happening right which this film does it tells you what's actually happening at vanderberg but it doesn't tell you you know what you're supposed to necessarily take away from that that's on you right um the Sh- clifford terry of the chicago tribune calls uh colonel jim ryan as glib as a game show host uh in his discussion of uh melee 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 i can't remember how it's pronounced and um and the holocaust during the mm-hmm. opening seminar um and he kind of calls the film boring and yeah. complains about uh, the numbing unreality uh even if that's the point of the film he says yeah he he's it seems like he was after some sort of heightened drama that you know wasn't present in the film probably because it's not present on site because everyone wants to be there and is already so subsumed in the ideology right like where's the conflict going to occur you know i think maybe just trying to find the points like the the biggest one is when they're talking about a, a trainee who's not doing well and they're going to have to cut him from the program but we don't see him he's not present you know in the same way maybe an adjustment in work when they're talking about sick blind people you know that there's somebody there to sort of push back against that idea right um so but this um scene uh what was the scene that was in reference to you were talking about that he was talking about well, he was talking about how Glibby was during the professional responsibility seminar, but right. he just called the film in general numb, numbing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that that seminar is so important for this film, right? Because yeah. it, it is the only time that we'll sort of get these more, even though they're talking around things and using a lot of euphemism, like this, this direct address of 
the gravity of the duties they're being asked to perform. Um, and, you know, I think it's critical that it comes pretty early on because that reverberates throughout the film, you know, as we watch all this sort of technical jargon and acronyms and, you know, switches and keys and lights blinking, you know, like. There's that one moment where the guy is like, uh, doing basically like goodwill hunting, like math equation stuff. <laughs> and then I like how he's just like, Do you care what these numbers are? No. Really. No. Do you care what's in here? No. No. The planners care that came up with PLCA 76 means this for Alpha 6, this for Alpha 5, this for Alpha 4, on down. They care. But all we do is they tell us to send this, we send it. Yeah, right. They know what it is. Yeah. 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 Some somebody's already worked all that out. Like that's not yeah. your job. Which I mean, you know, everyone has their function as a separate cog in the machine yeah. here, you know, like and and it is really a reduction, you know. I love during the fire range uh, training scene, the shot Davy does like down the line of just only the oh, hands yeah. on the guns, you know, right, each right. of the trainees reduced to their weapons, which is essentially their function here as like launchers of nuclear missiles, right? They, they oh, exist true. only as an extension of the weapon, you know, like there's no, there's, there's nothing else there, but that, I mean, that shot just like, sort of poetically illustrates that so well which is why uh going back to the terry piece who calls it prosaic i mean like uh i think he's just yeah again like you gotta you gotta put a little effort in but it's it's all there like the poetry uh is pretty readily present i i think you know i mean like how do you get (laughs) more uh ironic and and biting than the big gun you know like it's just one of these classic weissman images that so perfectly encapsulates the film in like a single image yeah we didn't talk about that with dan but i i I had forgotten about until he said it again from from the first time I watched this about the guy, that guy talking about a friend or whatever oh taking God, his yeah. shotgun home. A good friend of mine, he went home, he shotgunned, thought it was cleared after last time he went out hunting, and he pointed, he was pointing at his wife, he's pointing at his kids, really were really dumb, and then he pointed at his TV and he pulled the trigger and blew his TV all apart, you know. So he just got through pointing at his wife, just got through pointing at his kids, and he didn't know it. And then he went into the shake factor for a little bit because of what he could have done. Insane. He, he had to go to the shake factory for a little yeah. bit, I think he says. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, meaning like a mental hospital, I assume. Yeah, you know? right. Um, also, situation. also, like, just kind of the banality of, of again, this training of instruments of death you know he he has he has this joke about wheeling this into like a fast food joint and getting free food (laughs) or something which i'm sure he uses on like every class that comes through when he rolls this out he loves that joke um but like yeah uh again this is this is was a great moment for davy too like uh oh yeah just like reframing the scene and with these really eloquent slow zoom outs from the instructor to the instructor with the big gun as he starts to operate it and like it just struck me because i think you see a lot in in contemporary documentary kind of like that office you know jerky zoom like 
really quick cut right in and out but like we got this kind of very funny like almost that scene we like to talk about in welfare you know the godot scene and then there's the woman sitting next to him reveal kind of thing you know like like and and yeah i mean i mean humor i think and and irony is a big part of this film and maybe it's it's even more readily apparent watching it now coming off the, you know the very humanistic and and relatively uncynical uh talladega series for sure um we have Arthur Unger again from the Christian Science Monitor, and uh, he takes it mostly at face value and uh, appreciates that it's it has an unnerving calmness. Um, he says that Wiseman continues his unique obsession to force viewers to experience and reevaluate American institutions at first hand, which is like sounds kind of like a press kit kind of thing. Um, (laughs) and he says, if missile does nothing but make viewers think, uh, think more about our acceptance of nuclear deterrence, it will have performed a universal public service, which, okay. Yeah. You know, I mean, (laughs) well, I I think it does, you know, that's that. I think if you put that quote to Fred, he was like, and that's why I made the movie. (laughs) 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 Yeah. Um, New York Times uh, by Walter Goodman. Um, he says it's not as emotional as Deaf and Blind series, right. but but it, but he does call it absor- absorbing, much like his other military films. Uh, and he names basic training in, in Sinai Field Mission. Yeah, um, you know, we, he mentioned something else that I talk about later about how like doubts are risen only be to be put to rest, you know, they're, they're, they're to be quashed. You, you are yeah. to have no doubts, but you know, in this first session, let's, uh, bring those up and, and eliminate them though. There's no need to again already. Right. Cause like, like even before anything about deterrence is brought up, that one student kind of clearly articulates the entire theory. Just, uh, something that I've always thought. And again, I was stationed at Whiteman. Um, if you look at military history, and I think there are several history buffs here, they can attest to the fact that normally a war is never started against a nation that's prepared for it. Whenever there has been a war in history, it's a surprise attack against a nation that is not armed as well as it could be. And as long as people are ready and people do continue to be ready, equipment-wise, the odds of our ever having to use the equipment are, are so low that they're they're almost non-existent because we are prepared. And like right. you know, like that's that's the whole idea and, and conception here. But but nobody even had to uh, prompt her to to bring that <laughs> out. You know, like so so the doubts are really perfunctory. You know, like like again, you're gonna sign an affidavit that says you thought about this and it's fine, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, yeah. so like, uh, if, if you're here already listening to me talk about that, you're probably already at the point where you're <laughs> ready to sign, you know, on the dotted line. For sure. And if you're just joining this in, in general, you're probably, you're probably good to go. Yeah. Um, so we last, lastly, we have a, a New Yorker piece, uh, which is interesting. Um, they talk about how low tech it looks next to something like war games. Yeah. Um, and com- complaints about, of the place being a mess generally, um, said the, uh, the trainees seem to be in over their head, which I thought was funny. Um, and this is the viewer that I mentioned later that, that talks about Top Gun, like as sort of the contra 
version of, of uh, the American military, um, how it has all these experts. Uh, and here it's just the, the regular folks, the uh, Jimmy Stewart types, as the other reviewer said. Um, says uh, we, we get a reluctance um, uh, as they like weed out the slow learners. Um, we start to build this this weird uh, 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 view of of what kind of people make up this institution, and and the the writer mentions the the testmanship scene, which is such a such a funny scene. Um, uh, they argue that the Air Force doesn't care much care as much about ability versus as doesn't care as much about ability as willingness to carry out orders, which is kind of like what you were saying. Um, and then mentions the three bagger scene. Um, so, so they kind of, I mean, they get the, I, ha, I hesitate to say the point of the film, but they're like definitely seeing the seams of the institution that, that Wiseman is interested in. Yeah. And it, it seems like they, they maybe attended a press screening or something in New York. Cause they mentioned, uh, Weissman in a Q and A, then that's where the yeah, quote yeah. about about happening in the mind of the viewer, you know, right. comes from. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's probably of all these contemporaneous reviews the most astute, you know, uh, yeah. one I would say. Um, but yeah, the again, the ways in which the film like prompts you can't run away from what the film is trying to get you to do, you know? And I think maybe the, uh, for lack of a better word, like boringness or maybe mundanity is a better word, like, like prompts you to that because you really start to think, you know, amongst all these warring flashing lights and switches and knobs and stuff that you don't really comprehend. You start to try and realize what's all this what's all this about? What's it doing? You know, what is any of this doing? Like, why are they here? You know, like yeah. it, it, it just really is good at making you do that. But like the Top Gun thing, you know, going back to this idea that another writer had that the film could be used as a recruitment tool. I mean, that that's the recruitment tool, right? Like right. if, if the, the trainees and missile don't understand, you know, the math and like the actual workings of a nuclear warhead, you know, the people in Top Gun, like have no conception of even needing to think about that right they're they're there like doing the action stuff like shooting off the missiles like it's it's a it's like a fun contest kind of thing right, right? like right. like so like it is interesting that somebody would would note that when i mean you know i guess that's much more explicit and it's like military support from the military you know as propaganda as a a recruitment tool for the air force um but this i guess plays as sort of you know the the flip side of of how uh, mundane and routine these sort of launches can actually be. Yeah, uh, gosh, I I just flashed back to uh, the uh, scene we talk about later, but the the, the Vietnam bomber, this guy, who was just <sighs> fucking psycho. The first mission I ever flew as a combat ready crew member it was over Southeast Asia, uh, dropping live bombs. Uh, there's some more stories that go along with that, but the point of that story is to say that the first day that you're on, um, you pull crew duty, the first day that you go down in a hole, the first day you sit in front of that console may be the day that you're going to ask to respond with uh, the greatest integrity that you have. Uh, 
Now's the time to start preparing for that. And he does it with like this big smile on his face, and it's weird because yeah, he's it's like, like laughing about it. But it's not like a Joker, you know, like he's laughing. like kind of like reminiscing, like I was kind of green back then, you know, like yeah, it uh, seemed like he had simpler really, times. <laughs> he didn't really know how to process it, other than being like that was crazy. Yeah, well, and it's interesting too because it comes after this discussion of of the Mylai massacre and and the Holocaust, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, like, and like. I mean, if you think about dropping bombs on, you know, v- villages in Vietnam, you're thinking about, like, Napalm Girl, probably, you know, that's so ingrained in the culture by this point. Like, like so, so, <laughs> for for this ethics so seminar to yeah. be, like, a safe space for, like, the fond recollection yeah. of this, like, reign <laughs> yeah. of death, you know? Yeah. It's just, like especially in the context of like what is an illegal order you know yeah, yeah like yeah. like we're here to do a good thing and keep the peace right like just heightens the absurdity all, all that much more one thing that we didn't talk a lot about i think we kind of referred to them a little bit but the the lily pad shots in in this mm-hmm. film which are, are interesting um and carter talks about it in he the said, not coming he says it's like the only liberty weissman allowed himself i think Huh. Oh yeah, yeah, I do remember that. I didn't make much of that. But um yeah. but he he talks about how the shots become more frequent and and longer as the film goes on and it sort of creates this like staccato rhythm. Um and he makes an interesting ar- argument that that Wiseman may be using them to be like he, he here's all these anonymous people and mm. their fate could be decided by the people within this base um as we become more familiar with the with the people and what they do. I think that and they're they're critical in this film too, as, as they are in a lot of films, to situate us, you know, geographically and, and physically in place mm-hmm. and relationship between you know bunkers and buildings and baseball fields and stuff. We've but gotten a lot of highways over the last five. Films. It's true, yeah. Most of it is cars driving on roads. Yeah. You know, maybe they have a missile in tow or something. Um, but like the. Even still, even with this situation, it is this kind of typical, like, uh, physical, logistical, like, delocation that you feel throughout the film. Like, even though we have these lily pads, we're, we're, like, not super situated how anything's related to one another geographically, right? And it's, it's, uh, even though it's, there's some outside happening here, like in the lily pad shots and the barbecue and the baseball scenes, like the, the placement is not clear. Uh, um, and you know, the relation is not clear. So it's, it's again, this kind of typical for Weissman, I think way of making us lost within an institution that like further prompts us to try and like, consciously dig our way through and and establish where things are and what they mean and why they're placed in relation to what they're placed to we also get another cafeteria scene he loves those um true but uh but yeah it reminds me of the stuff you were just talking about uh cyanide field mission again because we get that sort of we get that remote base that is just like so anonymous Mm -hmm. um and also you know that's about uh a mission to keep the peace much like this True. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, I think you mentioned it later, but like that—that that is also very much a community, like a community of of necessity, basically, because they're they're so isolated. You right, know? right. Like, like, and and these people are are also you know isolated, but they go home to their families at the end of the day, right? Like, there there is, uh, it's one step less removed i guess towards like american society in general especially you know being in the continental united states but like Mm -hmm. like it does seem pretty intensive this like 14 week program at least that's the impression we're given i think is this the last military film um i want to say yes yeah i think so so. as far as I, i can think of yeah which i mean you know, I guess you think about this being right, kind of coming up against the end of the Cold War, you know, um, and and more of a soft power, you know, throughout the 90s, you know, with a few notable exceptions in, in Eastern Europe, probably in the Mideast. Um, but like, yeah, I guess, I guess, you know, we're, we're going to get to near death soon. But like he he does kind of start the 90s off in a very different mode you know, mm-hmm. um, after near death, uh, because, you know, he probably had an, enough death and depression, <laughs> you know, between, uh, uh, these, this kind of series in the late eighties. Um, I, you know, I can only speculate, we can ask him about it, but like, um, you know, and then he, be, he becomes more interested in like, uh, the arts and like, issues of aesthetic, you know, um, uh, and less into like geopolitical conflict and reality. So, so I don't know if it, it was a reflection, you know, of trends in society, of his interests, you know, of just like, it's, it's seeming the military taking more of a background role, um, in, in just everyday discourse as like, we lacked, uh, the the specter of the Soviet Union to sort of identify ourselves against. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. He starts to look at more like traditional uh, communities, especially um, starting with Central Park. Beautiful. Um, yes. Uh, what do you? How do you feel about this film? Just like, just generally. Um, it felt to me i mean i guess in a lot of ways but like kind of a return to form you know for weissman after talladega um again thinking of the the his sort of critiques and and like ironies and and cynicisms Mm -hmm. you know which you know i guess probably partly comes from me as a viewer you know imbuing like an anti-militaristic stance onto the military films you know it's not the only way they can be read but i mean i think straight from the get you you get that guy yawning during (laughs) the the opening sort of class and and as he's talking about this being one of the most intense you know kind of involved (laughs) programs the air force has to offer and this guy's like yeah whatever dude (laughs) but like like you know and it just spins out from there so you know i i it was nice it kind of felt like set settling back into more of a a familiar register i think mm-hmm. you know less having to feel my way around and and um 
in in the different mode that we experienced in Talladega and more so readily like okay like like back into it you know like like this film is is connected to this film and this film it's in this series it's doing these things you know like it, it it's all there uh in a way that that especially you know the last film in the series multi-handicap really makes you work for it yeah true yeah uh i i'm i'm with you on all that um although and and this viewing like i definitely got a lot more out of it but it's still it feels like a movie that i'm i uh like to talk about like it's such a cerebral movie yeah in a lot of ways as much as it's like absurd um there is so much just like in on the fringes that sort of like pregnant space um that uh it feels like it is challenging to me i think i think uh i would i would definitely call it challenging so i'm kind of like ready to get into like the the humanity of of near death uh and central park yeah, true. stuff yeah yeah no I, I i don't think i disagree it's like his uh his uh last year at marion bad or something <laughs> like where you're like trying to decode like okay and then the last word why did he cut on this last word okay Mm -hmm. uh yeah that type of stuff where he's just like letting a lot of stuff linger and letting like again it's a film of implication and and you're trying to figure out what he's implying yeah and it's a film too you know talk later about language but like this uh constant um discussion between like the rote like prepared routine fail safe of everything here how it it's factual you know it's hardened you're going to do this thing in this order and this will happen against everything they're discussing that is so vague and confusing and like just like not clear um in in actually addressing you know the reality of things like right language was was key in the talladega films you know also um and we talk later about how this relates as like an an educational uh in Mm -hmm. the education series as well as the military series um but you know yeah it's kind of every it's kind of everything it's like the education the discipline the military and the community stuff like all just packed in for sure yeah that that's a good point um but i mean i think you know, Marsh going back to juvenile uh, hall, juvenile court, um, <laughs> uh, you know, said this was what he thought was one of the funnier ones. And I think when you, you let, th- you let those moments come to you, like, like the clock training scene. Basically the lost patrol center clock. Uh, it, we read the clock at Zulu time. On uh, this particular clock, what time is it now? It is 400. Oh, 400. Okay. Time is it now? It's 04:36 and 40 seconds. Basically. Okay. So it's very important that you understand how to read the clock, not only by hours, minutes, also by seconds. You know, he he breaks this clock by spinning <laughs> it around. Like he tries to get the second hand to go, and it's just like, it's like the late 80s. Why don't you have a digital clock in this like you know high tech military setting? Mm-hmm. Um, or why they have to buckle in to their seats, uh, and it, which always causes them so much like trouble, <laughs> like they can never quite get it in and, and it delays everything. But like, you know, you, you assume there are reasons for everything. 
Uh, and that's certainly what the instructors want to convey. You know, this is all purposeful and for, has a reason. Uh, but that coming against the idea of justifying what they're actually potentially going to do, you know, uh, is just like a very productive uh, thing that the film engages in. Well said. Um, do you have any other spare notes? Um, no, I'm, I, you, you talk later about the um, couple marriage counseling sort of yeah, yeah. aspect of it. Uh, I just want to have a place to cut in the quote. Uh, you know, and catch him, make sure he, make sure he initiates right or make sure maybe, he, maybe he's doing something, you know, and if you don't talk to each other, you know, don't let each other know what's going on, then you're both going to get the error, okay? That's my philosophy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, kind of definitely some uh, sexual undertones of the idea of like inserting and turning keys simultaneously um, that are kind of mm -hmm. fun to think about in, in this context. And, you know, certainly we have the phallic imagery of, of rocketry, you know, that's pretty well established in cinema. Um, you think about and like a big gun. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, you know, but there's this, this disconnect too, I think that, uh, exists in the way, certainly the top brass and probably everyone underneath them are, th are thinking about what they're doing and what they're thinking about what they're, uh, doing it for and and against you know like like um colonel ryan you know says something like uh you know they won't they're they're going against like that outer fringe out there that you have in any society the nuts but uh you know who would seek to come in and 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 kill people and destroy property and that sort of thing and i'm like what do you think's going to happen if you launch one of these right <laughs> like 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 who are the nuts you know who is He's such a yeah He's such a good orator. Like he, he's a blast to listen to talk. Well, he's, it's so clear that he's, he's, you know, this is not his first rodeo, right? Like, like yeah. he's, he, he's prepared, you know, he knows what he's going to talk about. He knows all the topics that are going to come up, which is, you know, he lends, uh, these moments of spontaneity, like even more pleasure. Like when he's like, can anyone think of an illegal order? And, <laughs> and he's like, we have regulations, obviously that, uh, would prohibit me from ordering someone to go solicit prostitutes or something like that. Yeah, that's clearly illegal because it, it violates regulation. You know, like, yeah, like, yeah. like, like, what? Like, where did that come from? You know, like. yeah, I think it comes like right after like talking with with one of the two women in the class. Yeah, right. Like, this is yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and yeah. then and then as we talk about later, he closes the film singing the hymnal in the Challenger Church service. You know, he's mm -hmm. he kind of has these this book ending role. Um, but like, again, kind of the, uh, official stability, uh, presented by the whole enterprise and like the true, uh, just like humanity of actually putting it into practice. Um, I think, I think is, is well embodied in, in that character. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, well, uh, we talk about uh, some of this and a lot more in our uh, discussion with Dan. Um, and I hope you enjoy it. Um, we don't have any emails, um, but you can send us an email at wisemanpodcast at gmail.com, of course. Of course. And we'll 
talk about it on air unless we don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) And now we're heading into near death. Are you ready? I'm so ready. (laughs) I'm kind of glad we're putting some space. Are you going to do it in one? Oh, yeah, for sure. But right. I'm 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 glad we're we're putting some space in in between this and that for the holidays because <laughs> I I know that's that's going to be a doozy in in more ways than one. Well, I will say that since this will be the last one of the year, that we have I think I think we'll have some fun, exciting uh, surprises in the new year in terms of guests and uh, episodes. Sure, sounds good to me. <laughs> All right, until next time. Later. Welcome back to Wiseman Podcast. We're here with uh, our guest, Dan Schindel. Dan is a freelance arts and culture writer, um, previously the associate editor for documentary at the uh, site Hyperallergic, and uh, his work has appeared in the LA Times, Film Comment, uh, Reverse Shot, Mubi, uh, many, many places. Um, how are you doing, Dan? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Good, good. Getting glad, there. glad to have you. Thank you. Um, so yeah, uh, what? Uh, how did you get into Wiseman? What was your intro? Um, so I lived in Los Angeles for many years, and back in I believe it was 2015 or 2016, this theater called the Cine Family started doing a full retrospective of Wiseman's work, um, and like literally every film, starting from the beginning chronologically, they had planned to do it in four parts. Um, each one of them spread across a month or so. And so, yeah, I just enthusiastically joined in on that. And I started from the beginning with Titicut Follies. Uh, now, not too long after that, I believe they made it only through one of those segments um, or possibly two with each one like focused around a decade roughly. Uh, but then Cine Family, if you're unaware, closed down in 2017 <laughs> due justly uh, because of many abuses by management. Um, so that was cut off prematurely, but I mean, I was bitten. I, since then, uh, made it a point to keep up with each new Wiseman release. Um, it means that my knowledge of Wiseman is a, is interestingly lopsided because I've seen a lot of his early work and I've seen everything that he's done since 2010, but in between what I've seen Mm -hmm. is very spotty. Um, usually based on like what does show up in rap or like what just strikes me to check out or, you know, I'll appear in a Mm -hmm. podcast and I will finally use that as an excuse to watch one of them. Yeah. Yeah, that's 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 how I was too for a while, um, you, you know, because you are keeping up with the new ones or like I would kind of go back and forth between, OK, I got to see like the roots of his work and then see this new stuff. And then uh, but the real joy for me has been in being like checking out this 90s stuff or some of the weird 80s stuff and, and your head just like explodes. Very much so. Um, and. The reason that I picked this one when you asked which I might be interested in speaking about um, is because I actually see Missile as part of a continuum of 80s documentaries that just 
fully let the absurdity and terror of nuclear warfare <laughs> sink in. This is not quite contemporaneous, but in a similar era as Radio Bikini and, of course, the Atomic Cafe. Um, and I find, I don't know, nuclear warfare and is one of the very odd niche subjects that I was like briefly fixated on and which I still like know a disproportionate amount about. It's a, it's a topic that is, um, could, you know, could be argued as the most important of the modern world, but which in many ways just fades into the background radiation, sorry, pardon the pun, of everyday life now. Even though, as the uh, Bulletin of Atomic Scientists continually tries to remind us, the threat of nuclear uh, exchange is never actually that far away, uh, given certain geopolitical tensions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, I'm glad you uh, keyed in on the, with the uh, word absurdity, because um, this is definitely a... Oh, Oh, it's a, like a slippery work, but I think that it's fair to, to call it absurd. Yes, very much so. Um, one thing I love about Wiseman is he, I, there are very few filmmakers who trust the audience more. Um, mm-hmm. He, you know, he always, you know, he might key in visually onto a good sight gag, but especially with this film, he just lets you, mm-hmm. lets you, the viewer, with the knowledge of what this is about, just take it in and trust that we abs- understand the absurdity ourselves. Because in, in many ways, it is a very, incre- you know, all these movies are like, have a lot of mundanity in them. This movie is incredibly mundane. It's just knowing mm-hmm the stakes of what these people are learning about and training to do heightens it, torques it up so much. Um, But all of that is in your own knowledge of this context. Um, The film itself is so low-key, which paradoxically, of course, contributes to absurdity. Yeah, the, the, the thing about the audience, Fred actually was quoted as saying... Uh, the true film lies halfway between the screen and the mind of the viewer. And I think, especially in the context of when this was shot in 87, like, um, you know, this, the discourse around nuclear weapons was like ever present, you know, and, and the cold war and the Reagan era was, you know, the, the, um, anxiety was so heightened to a degree that it permeated, you know, so much culture, and just the general, like, uh, societal, like, uh, psychology, you know, and it's dealt with in a lot of films around this era, as uh, writers would note. Um, but I think the beauty of this film is that it engages the viewer with these topics without necessarily directing, directly, you know, documenting a discourse around the morality of uh, nuclear weapons and nuclear armament. Um, it, it, it asked the viewer to come to those things just by the nature of engaging with people doing the work of like the nuclear war machine. Right. But like, it's not necessary. Like these questions are brought up, you know, prominently in like the second scene, um, only so that they could be kind of dispatched with and not considered further. You know, they, they bring them up so they can resolve them in the mind of these trainees uh, that don't kind of don't worry about it. <laughs> you know? Like, like you're here to do this task and, you know, you've already considered it. We want you to consider it. But after considering it, we want you to come down on our side. 
That's very true. Um, and after that, you know, that uh, that initial discourse, that dialogue, um, something that strikes me is how much of what we actually see in a film is fairly interchangeable with just regular military drill, mil- regular yeah, regular military practice. Um, you know, the base that they live on could be any kind of base. Um, early on, there's, they're running through um, firearms training, through target practice. Um, and that's actually one of the early like films I really, films, that's one of the early scenes that I think really works of that contrast between mundanity and absurdity, because you make the connection of, okay, they're training with firearms, but what they're actually here for is something on a scale so much greater and unimaginable. And the thing is that because it's almost impossible for a human mind to grasp the responsibility of like pulling the trigger on in that way, or pushing buttons, so to speak, the way that they try to um, conceptualize it is often really disquieting, given that these are the people who are, you know, been given this responsibility. Uh, early on, when they are talking about the possible ethics, one of the uh, trainees talks about... Well, I spent uh, six years as a police officer, and I know I often, on a smaller scale, ran across the same questions, why do you carry a gun? You know, there are certain police departments across the world that don't allow their officers by and large, to carry weapons because they feel that it's an inhibiting factor. And I felt that I carried a weapon mainly to keep the peace and to protect myself because there are elements out there that do not have the same value structure that I have and do not consider life all that worthwhile and will be very, very willing to kill me or someone else to achieve the aims that they really want to. And that's something that I remember as a young officer struggling with. And I came to grips with it simply in a situation where I did have to almost defend myself. And I'm very happy that I had a weapon there because I didn't have to use it, but it was an inhibiting factor on, you know, that I think that helped deter any more violence. When you know it's, it's, it's most countries, most, in most countries, police officers don't carry guns. <laughs> um, and then the, he talks about uh, how he rationalizes it. And I, this struck me so much that I actually wrote it down. And something that I love about a lot of Wiseman films too is that uh, just in studying human beings, you get so much entrancing, amazing dialogue that no one could ever write. That's mm-hmm. for sure. That's just like the way that people articulate themselves is so sometimes bizarre, but also weirdly poetic. The man says, "Murder is clearly illegal, beat and moral as well." <laughs> um, but there are situate are there situations where murder is legal, and then that leads into the discussion of like justified quote-unquote use of homicide um and that is why this former police officer sees uh no problem with the fact that he carries a gun and by this movie's transitive property this is the logic undergirding having intercontinental ballistic nuclear weapons pointed at other countries while they haven't pointed at us yeah yeah we have this uh moral high ground that that we believe in like well we know what we're doing and um you're gonna like our entire country is going to train these people who can't even pass a fucking test <laughs> like half the time. But yeah, uh, that I, I think, uh, that personal, personal responsibility seminar, is that what it's called? Um, <clears throat> a, a great example of what you're talking about in terms of dialogue that we see is just like, and the phrases is how the Colonel like uses the phrase final solution. Like right after talking about the Holocaust, <laughs> it's just like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, it's the kind of thing, I mean, you could picture him kind of getting the bug in his head uh, of that phrase, you know, while talking about the Holocaust. And it kind uh-huh. of comes out naturally, I guess, in kind of an almost Freudian way is like, oh, murder of a lot of people at once, kind of, you know, like, like, this is the phrase for that. And it just slips out. And it kind of very in one motion just slyly undercuts the whole conversation because it's like this is on that level right this is what we're talking about and i think that's you know for me one of the the main key things in the film is this conflict between like you were talking about dan the the mundanity of all these proceedings and the mundanity of the language to like the severity of the reality of what they're discussing you know like that is the central disconnect and the way you know something that weissman likes a lot is is talking about the way that like language uh enacts ideology here and it's this whole um one of the writers talked about it um like numbing Mm -hmm. right you know the numbing to and uh the realities of their undertakings and the results and you know mamber noted nobody once mentions hiroshima or nagasaki the only time there has been a nuclear you know nuclear bomb in war um nobody talks about like the potential toll in any hard numbers you know of what's happening here and and i want to like go to something I, I kind of found interesting. Um, just give me a second to find it. Um, I looked up just a bit about Vanderberg, you know, the history of it and what they were actually doing. And like, you know, they, they tested uh, and housed a lot of ICBMs, right? Like that's what the film is about. Um, and like even new ones, um, but they had one called the Peacemaker, um that they pioneered they tested at vanderberg and the lgm peacekeeper sorry uh, it could launch 10 re-entry vehicles uh to separate targets each of them armed with a 300 kiloton warhead so like that's one missile and then um waitingpeace.org has a description of what a 300 kiloton warhead would do when detonated so i'm just going to read that to set a contrast for the kind of language that's used throughout this film a 300 kiloton warhead would within a millionth of a second release 300 trillion calories of energy primarily in the form of intense light the surrounding air would be superheated and create a rapidly expanding fireball Almost all the air within and around the fireball would be compressed into a steeply fronted luminous blast wave of enormous extent and power. The fireball would extend more than a mile in diameter and at its center produce temperatures of over 200 million degrees Fahrenheit, about four to five times the temperature found at the center of the sun. This unearthly (laughs) release of heat and energy would create an environment of unimaginable lethality igniting extensive fires for many tens of square miles and producing a blast wave which would crush and tear apart any structure in its path. And one missile can do that to ten different places at once. Um, So, like, when they talk about, you know... The three-bagger, a critical error. You know? like Like, this is the consequence, right? Like, this times ten, but it gets encapsulated into three bagger or you know just get the task done and leave it at that 
get a successful launch, and take care of any other problems that happen afterwards. That's useful to uh, to to set that that contrast because um, I mean the colonel during that uh, seminar that like fifteen minute scene um, the way that he uses such like broad stroke generalizations and like these vagueness about talking about you know s- how simple early warfare was and then like sort of couching it in in ways like I don't mean to make it sound like it was pleasant like <laughs> it, it's like straight out of like a like a Ianucci film. And it, it's like uh, the stuff about the Miley massacre is um, mm. is incredible. Like he's doing all this verbal gymnastics. Yeah, Poss- possible not not to judge uh, Lieutenant Callie. <laughs> <Right. laughs> Immediately after he brings it up as like, oh, what's an example of an illegal order? Not to judge <laughs> anybody, but like, <laughs> yeah, and um, yeah, Barry Keith Grant notes that that the colonel is saying that this is the most intensive training in the military. And then this guy is just yawning like this. Yeah, is just yeah. yawning, like just full of uh, little, little things like that. And it's funny because we recently heard Wiseman in the criterion closet video talking about uh, down by law, the Jarmusch film and how much he liked it as straight faced humor, which is something I think that we uh, either knew or understood. Um, and, <clears throat> um, you know, knowing that he's such a fan of the Marx brothers and what's great about his approach uh, is that he's able to make moments of satire like like many in this film that we're talking about, which are just so straight-faced because it's real. Like, the half-eaten Twinkie bit is just, like, incredible humor in the hands of, of Wiseman, um, but obviously not funny for the people that are there. We don't want to take snacks away. We definitely don't want to take <laughs> snacks away. <laughs> or the Vietnam bomber, the guy who's, like, the officer who chimes in. Psycho, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that's a thing, too, is, like, the mundanity of the language. It's like It does carry a degree of, like, psychopathy to it. Like, yeah. the, the coldness of it, the detachment of it. Um, like, like you're, you know, when you think about the ramifications and, and the vagueness of everything, too permeates all the way down to even the fraternization, you know, lecture or, or conversation. Yeah, yeah. Fraternization. I guess everybody knows the uh, what fraternization is or have a vague idea. But just being sure that, uh, you know, it's something that Air Force doesn't like, it won't tolerate, and we'll be professional as we've always been. And uh, we've not accused anyone of fraternization. And you can be, you know, with the women on board, everybody is being extra cautious about this thing with fraternization. And uh, just be assured, I mean, be careful that you don't do anything that presents the image of fraternization or fraternizing. And uh, we're not saying don't be friends with your students and don't, you know, have meet the guys at the old club or whatever we've always done for the last 20 years. But just don't get it to the point where people start thinking that something's going on. Now, of course, a lot of times people overreact in a situation where there are females and males and... Uh, don't get paranoid to the fact, I mean, to the point where you're not really being effective, worried whether someone is going to say you're fraternizing. So we're not going to get paranoid to that point because it's not worth it. But we do want to make sure that we always be professional. Where he's talking around this thing, it's never really getting to exactly what they should or shouldn't do or what the policy is it's almost like a mafia threat where like you're meant to read between the lines and and kind of get the gist of it you know but like it's totally vague and weissman even inserts a shot a shot of a uh, trainee looking like very confused as he's <laughs> listening to all this 
a almost perfectly com- perfect comedy scene is when the instructor talks about the story of doing the uh, the ascent test with his trainee. Um, you know, making sure that um, both people manning the buttons are in agreement about doing so, and how he uh, and he talked about how uh, the trainee was like, "Oh, I could see from the look on your face that I had your sense," and then he's yeah, just like, yeah. "I was actually giving him a blank te- face test." Yeah. yeah, it's very it's very uh, reminiscent of the way that Earl Morris talked about Sinai Field Mission and like the absurdity that he finds in that, like watching watching this guy sweep up, uh, you know. Um, uh, sand in the in the middle of uh, a windstorm, um, and it's like the the little touches like the muzak in the hall that he keeps cutting to, which is exactly that mundanity. Um, I think Arlen, you should do a cut where uh, you you uh, put the uh, curb uh, theme. Uh, <laughs> on we are a people who are concerned about our God. <laughs> bum, bum, bum. <laughs> um, something else that I think is really interesting about the. Uh, film is that um, there's so much, of course, in Wiseman observation of people um, either doing work or practicing for doing whatever that is that they're going to do. Um, and this, uh, again, tying back to the idea of the greater absurdity, you see this training, um, and whenever it gets to a practical elements, especially running through the procedures of what um, you do when you press a button, like you need to get this permission, you turn this key and all that, or going through the um, actual mechanics of the consoles. What they're doing is essentially dress rehearsal for the literal apocalypse. And mm-hmm. I find that very interesting. I love, um, I love you know, cinema in general that's about uh, play acting, acting out things, like imitations of reality, um, rehearsals for real life. Um, I speaking of rehearsals, I loved, of course, Nathan Fielder's uh, series for that same exact reason. Um, and so uh, I have a friend, Brent, uh, Brendan Boyle, who describes that kind of fiction as extractive. Um, and so I think that Missile is a fantastic example of what he calls extractive fiction, of um, imitations of life, of preparation, mm-hmm. and uh, imita- of, of um, play acting, standing in for real thing. Um, in this case... Of course, we don't ever want the real thing to actually be happening. Um, and that just intensifies, again, what is very, could be called like, you know, rote, boring, sort of like instructional work in practice. Yeah, you know, it. I mean, it's interesting listening to you talk about this because something a, a few of the critics noted was the way in which um, this can play to both sides a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. like, like, uh, hawks and doves alike. And like what you said about preparedness for the apocalypse, you know, I think they're seeing this as the continued operations necessary for peace, you know, that that's the way they kind of square this in their heads because of the, this whole deterrent ideology that permeates all the proceedings and like justifies everything. Um, going back even Benson and Anderson, uh, talked a bit about the film strategic air command. Um, and that was even present in that film, uh, the Anthony Mann film, this, this idea of deterrent. And it seems to probably, you know, not, being super versed in the history, like probably been the way they justified continuing the nuclear program after the war ended. Right. Like, Oh, like if we have this and we know, you know, the Russians are going to have it too. Like, well, it's, you know, 
etc etc so to where we are now so like to the point where they the deterrent is so extreme that they can destroy like the whole world with like you know two missiles or whatever so like the the um and it's so like in characterizing the trainees it's done so well in these early scenes because they bark out that ideology with hardly even being prompted to do so. And it's like very clear that this is a group of like self-selecting individuals who want to do this task. And then we hear that a lot. Like we, I wanted this post, you know, I wanted to be stationed here. Like this, this was my goal to get here. Um, and, and it, it makes you think like, you know, of course, like, well, like, you want to be the one to pull the trigger, you know, push the button, right? right like right. that's, that's the, the ultimate goal. And I mean, you think about, I guess the concept of just like military advancement and what the military is. I mean, is, isn't it kind of the ultimate post if like what the military does is just mass death. Mm-hmm. I, I wanted to, uh, uh, along the same lines of what both of you, you guys are talking about, uh, leading to that, I wanted to ask you guys what you thought of the the trainee with talking about the German soldiers with the photograph scene. This is a restored one. Actually, it's that one right there after taking the rust off of it and cleaning it up. You brought these home or you put them in a museum over there? Some are a museum. Uh, some of these I brought home. What are those little and bombs? And that one's on a colonel's desk somewhere. Hmm? What are those little things? That's a mortar. That's a 60 millimeter mortar. It's not good, is it? We dearmed this. Oh, <laughs> That's a thing. That's a good thing. Potato masher. Oh yeah, yeah. Just okay. like in the movie. Another gas mask case. Uh, some American hand grenades. That's me. I found that guy's helmet. That's why I'm there. His name was in it. And I so you went and looked for his grave? Yeah. Is oh. that the one that had four bullet holes in it? As a matter of fact, yes. Oh, How wow. coincidental. Let me see this. Um, I've got another helmet uh, with another picture. I found another guy's grave. They were both buried in Bastogne. Where'd you find their helmets? Out in the woods. Uh, as a matter of fact, I've got detailed maps. I kept them, like little archaeologist notes of where all this stuff was. Which guy is this guy? Willie? But yeah. Uh, no, it's Emil Blome. Why is there three names on this stone? There's six people to a grave. Three on one stacked. side, three on They're the other. They're stacked up? Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Sure. How long did it take to find the guy's um, gravestone? Um, not too long because they have a guest registration book, you know, in the front there with all the names of the people. So that's where I went and looked. Since I found it in the woods and they had 9,000 people buried about two miles away from there, I figured chances were that he was Oh, the, this graveyard's two miles from where you found the helmet? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. All the Americans, though, uh, if you find anything with Americans, they've all been moved either to Luxembourg, which is about a 60-mile trip. Oh, there you go. Yeah, there we go. So we're out in the uh, foxholes there. The baby went out. Oh, my God. Doesn't look like she had a lot to say about that. That thing on my head is a helmet I found out there. It still had the camouflage cover on. It was a German paratrooper helmet. Um, Like, what did you make of this, that that scene? Um, Like, what's your impressions of that? I mean, that's more of, like... That whole, um, again, tying into the guy who uh, relates to this work and rationalizes it through looking back at his context, like having been a police officer. It's like almost like mm. the the Rorschach, Rorschach thing. And like, again, um, you mentioned how like uh, some writers have observed like doves and hawks alike and like sort of get what they uh, see out of it. Um, and I think that that's actually... 
I guess because you've talked a little bit about how um, I've mentioned a few times, like how you know, the scale of nuclear war is like impossible. So like the only way everyone is like just sort of um, approaching this, uh, however they can muster their imagination. Mm-hmm. So that I think ties right back into it. This idea of like perspective and like what then in that case, since like no one has a proper frame of reference for this un- for this like uh, possibility without any then what, how people then describe either the work or again, with the photo, like in relation to it, uh, then just says so much more about them, right? Mm -hmm. And you can compare that to like whatever you see and like how you think about it. Yeah, uh, it's funny. Well, first of all, um, I think Mamber makes a good point to like also talk about how Davey shoots that scene and uh, how he's able to maneuver around this scene that seems like it seems like they're just on the break during a class, which is also just incredible that they're, that like they're always, you know, ready and like uh, able to capture these small moments. And but Davy is shooting it in a way that that is reminiscent, or it feels like a studio film would be with like the insert shots. But instead of inserting, yeah. he's just able to actually like zoom in on the photo as he shows it, and it's it's just one of those things where it's just like it's not showy, but um, he's just so good. But uh, Barry Keith Grant. Um, uh, poetically puts this scene as like how it, it shows how history fades into this archaeological curiosity from the barbaric, barbaric past, as he puts it, which is what, kind of what you're um, talking about as well, Dan. And um, that by making the film, Wiseman is giving us space to, to and ideas to consider how America is moving forward and how we're viewing our past, how we're contextualizing it. Um, and he he also says that that missile along with maneuver and basic training which especially maneuver is exactly this extractive fiction like you're talking about like brendan calls it um of uh so it's like he's using this actual training but shooting it like a real thing in a way to like subvert mm-hmm. our 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 uh conve- our, our conception of war movies um which gives us a position to think about uh like cinematic depictions of of um military more generally um uh, and, and also think about this the real stuff that we're watching here as fiction right so um mm-hmm. thinking about fictional depictions of the military but also looking at a documentary de- depiction of the military and thinking about it as as this fictionalized thing this constructed thing that they're doing yeah, that's really interesting. Um, I'll I'll get to that, but just just to go back to the uh, photo kind of war tourism trip uh, <laughs> personal slideshow. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Like I think I think it also speaks to kind of the fetishization. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> fetishization of this whole proceedings and the fetishization of death. You know, especially in a military context. Um, er- earlier in that seminar scene you know one of the trainees remarks that like one of the justified uses of murder is is execution by the state right Mm -hmm. and like this this whole like death tour this guy did um you know is is uh just a, a celebration of that you know like a continuation of of the ephemera, you know, he finds helmets in the road and puts it on while he, uh, stands in a foxhole holding his infant daughter. Right. Like, (laughs) um, just this really grim image that, you know, 
taken out of context you just look at that and it's like oh like was this shot by like a avant-garde artist you know like it's uh very weird um but yeah that that scene sean you're talking about the editing you know we have to talk about the the last sort of missile launch scene uh with the two female trainees mm-hmm. and the cross cutting between that um and the how dynamic it is and how like narrative it is and i'm assuming they must have shot two of those to have all the coverage they have to cut between okay ready okay step one launch keys inserted next step function select switch to off it is mrt cep to mrt mrt click a55 selected click a55 initiate actuated clockwise actuated clockwise 1001 Take up the alarm. Set. Right select switch to all. Set. Launcher select switch to all. Set. Unlock code. Required inserted. First element. Papa. Papa. Second element seven. Seven. Third element seven. Seven. Fourth element papa. Papa. Fifth element seven. Seven. Sixth element papa. Papa. Okay, read them back. Papa seven, papa seven, papa seven, papa seven, papa seven, papa seven. Do you agree? Okay, I agree. Okay, enable switch. Set to enable. Enable switch. Down and locked. Initiate switch. Actuated counterclockwise. Actuated counterclockwise. 1001. Release. Key turn at commit time. On my mark. At the 15. Hands on keys. Three, two, one. Mark. Got my print. Got the alarms. Okay. Okay. I've got launch in process on two sorties. Enable launch in process. Okay, got fault lighted, fault, outer security, inner security, missile away, 11's gone. Okay, launching process on 6. Okay, missile away on 8, 9, 10, 4, 5, and 3, they're all gone. Um, but you're, you're right. It's this, both, both of you, what you're talking about, this like perfect rehearsal that is shot as if it's happening and you feel it, you kind of get this like rush this like action movie sort of of energy to it you're like you know she's marking off all these missiles away you know lights popping up like missile away missile away you know the implication being like millions of death each time she's crossing off a sharpie right like um but it's almost like this this pseudo like uh previous guest robert green thing where they're they are performing these uh right. things it, it can be a rehearsal but it can also be a performance you know and the distinction between them is is very uh malleable and thin uh and maybe not even important because uh especially you know within the film uh it's it's used to dramatic effect but it's also used to like uh help us create meaning because as appearing to the viewer is real it reflects us to kind of 
uh, treat it as such and be like, God, what, why did this happen? What's about to happen because of what I just saw? And I guess, go, you know, it all ties back to the mundanity of it. Like in the end, yeah. there's all this like jargon being thrown around, these lights going off. It takes, you know, a couple minutes, uh, but the implications are so outsized versus what we see. And it's still so there's there. It's still clumsy. Like, you know, I think one of the reviewers, <laughs> the contemporaneous reviewers brought up Top Gun and it's useful now to think about, like, I just watched Top Gun Maverick a, a few weeks ago and it's like to, to watch these these two women strap in and, and everything like they're like looking and kind of making sure it's in the right spot and just kind of like it, it's not like this, like, you know, like this uh, very yeah. like um, uh, self-assured uh, action. It, it's, it's all, um, it, it, it feels like a, like a, a dress rehearsal. Like they're not quite sure, uh, what they're doing yet. They're kind of just like figuring it out as they go. And it, and it's just very plain. Well, it doesn't take much, right? The drop, the drop of a wrench <laughs> can yeah, set yeah. off a missile. <laughs> I like how you, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, um, if you, so there's a really good book by Eric Schlosser called command and control which basically goes into history of uh, nuclear weapon fuck-ups and near misses um, and what are called, you know, broken arrow incidents, which are those when it's either close or I guess, I guess broken arrow is like technically if ever a nuclear weapon were actually detonated accidentally, which I don't think, you know, that's not happened, but it's, uh, it's almost happened a disconcertingly uh, number of times. Um, And if you look into that history, it very well pays lie to the idea that this is a, um, refined, uh, sensible system. Um, but going back to like, you know, how they, uh, you know, the, the, the sort of brush you get when like, oh, they're talking as if it's actually happening. They're over consoles are running through the lingo. We see all the, you know, blinking dots on the consoles and stuff like that. That made me think about how, um, in contrast to like, you know, a lot of, um, military or war related tasks, this is like one of the jobs that is, um, less on its face, you know, uh, exciting, uh, not not the kind of thing that like most people would sign up for the military for. It's not like the action, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's uh, it is war making that is estranged in many ways from its tangible consequence because you are. This is you know before this is when video games were very rudimentary, but it is essentially like war as a video game, more more like um, it's like a simulator. A simulator, yes. And I also wonder, because if you're in, like, actual combat, like, you just sort of react, right? But with this, I actually do wonder how much of, like, the way that the character, the people, the subjects act, especially since there are cameras on them, how much of that is performance for them that is informed by what they have seen in television and movies. Like, everything from, uh, I don't think, I think War Games ever, that's like 85, right? Or 84? 83. Right, okay. So, like... Things like war games, like anything, even Star Trek, which, you know, in its early in its early years, its first incarnations was almost entirely a show where a lot of the action was people staring at screens and reading out technical details. I wonder how much like that informs the way that people act when they're doing this kind of work, um, like the kind of uh, the kind of behavior that will intensify uh, the feeling that like you're actually doing something important, especially when, again, with this like nobody, very few people ever like actually gone through these procedures for real um so the majority of it is going to be a drill or practice or false alarms um and against that like you can see the film is like a lot of like how people just struggle to make meaning of um 
what is simultaneously monumentally important again it could be called the most important military work but like has actual has like no actual like um practical example right. to date except for like two notable examples like there have only been a handful of people who have ever actually gone through and committed the procedure of doing of like using nuclear warfare and of course that was very different they were you know up in planes and but they but they rationalize that woman rationalizes in the beginning uh by saying like as long as we're prepared we're not going to be yeah. attacked right so they are doing the work but like for real you're not really doing anything right the prep the preparation is the warfare it's like again like the more you think yeah, about it like yeah. just, just the more about it just like fucks for your head well, it's it's very much like a Kool Aid thing, you know. You have to drink it to to do your job. Like if if you uh, start to notice cracks in that ideology, you're not going to be effective, you know, as a cog in this process, right? Like, and they he says we don't want you to be like robots turning the key, but that is what they want. Like they're there to oh, yeah. to serve a single function and carry out this action without question, right? Like, and they're signing the affidavit that says they've thought about this and, and they're cool with it, basically, right? Like, mm-hmm. and and I mean, uh, Dan, what you were just talking about too, I mean, you think about our conception of war now as a video game with like drone warfare, right? Like like the, the depersonalization uh, in this is almost more extreme because you don't have a screen in front of you. You're not like seeing, even though you're, you're seeing the real people on the screen kind of as like NPCs in a video game, like here there's nothing to like, indicate anything about the reality of what you're doing it's just like a bunch of switches and lights you know and it only means something if you know what they mean very much so yeah i was gonna uh, bring up the the benson and anderson article which uh is quite dense um from 1990 and and they talk about culture and technology around missile but um that i i really like this 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 paragraph that I'm going to read in full um, because it it really uh, helped me think about the film. Um, They say, the film creates an abiding sense that we are observing a culture no longer in charge of its own most important actions and therefore as having relinquished its ability to take action. Everything hinges on something that will happen elsewhere and on a word that will be given from elsewhere. At some point, the president will make a decision, the klaxon will sound, and the word will be passed through the system a word that this culture is entirely structured to wait for and act upon. The job of the participants is to be prepared, both morally and technically, to do the bidding of that word. Having made their choice, they are asked not to choose again, are, are not asked to debate, and are not asked for their advice. And that, that kind of made it click for me that this is about uh, another one of uh, Wiseman's pet themes of that we talk a lot about of like subjugation and like the self-disciplined society that you're like trained into docility um, that I hadn't really thought about while watching. But, but, but when you sort of like zoom out and think about this as a microcosm, which I think is very helpful um, that that's, that's what they, they're, they're doing. You know, it, it's, it, it all comes back to, to the 1976 film meat of these, just, these animals just kind of going through and, and uh, they have no real, you know they're not supposed to get out of line they're just supposed to keep going straight yeah the uh the whole ethics debate at the beginning is very much a fig leaf like in if they ever get the order like they're never there's no scenario i feel in which like they would uh if they refused it 
would be able to say, oh, no, it's an illegal order. Like if you're actually being told to launch it, that is a yeah, that's a scenario. I mean, it's almost outside of our conception, but yeah, they're, they're, they know for sure at that point. Yeah. They go on to say to say in that article that um, one of the members of the program fund for the uh, CPB told Wiseman, who cares about the training of these men and women? They're not the decision makers. <laughs> and they're like, that's, he's like, that's the point. <laughs> um, I think to it's interesting to think about this film, you know, just as you've brought up Sean, relating it to, to other films, you know, it's, it's easy to situate it as, as one in the military series, which is certainly accurate, mm-hmm. but it's very much one in the education series as well, that too. Es- especially yeah. us having just come off multi-handicap too. I, I know. mean, the clock reading scene, man, yeah, like, yeah, like yeah. you know, the same thing, it never ends. And like, you know, it's a film that ends, the final shot is an empty school bus driving away from the base, right? Like, mm-hmm. like we have done our job. The students are here, you know, safe and indoctrinated and like, we're going off to, to find more or something, you know, like, but, but I mean, it's, it's a pet theme of Weissman, of course, going back to high school, like, like this is a continuation of the same ideology, the same subjugation, you know, the same, uh, uh, unquestioning, uh, mm-hmm. element that, that we're asked by institutions to perform, uh, in order to be like good participating members of society. Um, but I think, you know, it, it's thinking about it in the educational context is very funny, especially mm-hmm. with the off written about like testmanship scene. Oh my God. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, Amazing. With, which, uh, can't help but bring up for me, uh, and hoop dreams. Uh, if you pick B's and C's, you're likely to get more right <laughs> than A's and D's. <laughs> um, yeah. but like, you know, the, this idea that, uh, what's important is to pass, you know, uh, and, and like, like the one guy says earlier about, you were talking about, uh, the look, I just he said he looked in the mirror and he saw it in my eyes that I wanted him to turn keys. <laughs> yeah, I'm serious. And, and one of the trainees asked, like, did he pass? And he's like, <sighs> barely. like but he still passed he still passed and he still you know has his hand on a key right like so so yeah this this all comes back to the big thing for me like the the big draw to this um is viewing it through um his pet theme of community because most of the writing and a lot of the talking we've done about it so far but most of the writing about this film focuses on this like incredible subject matter of course because it's about nuclear warfare it's like there's nothing bigger but But it, it it's worthwhile, uh, or it would be foolish for us to not think about how it represents or reflects ideas of like community and communal living, and how they fit in with with the larger um, uh, uh, Wiseman's larger oeuvre, but also how they reflect a larger society. And um, we we've mentioned this a lot, sort of leading up to this episode. But um, uh, one of those things that kind of uh, I think we were excited to, to come to this was um, Labuza on the uh, a scene episode talking about like the uh, potential for a double billing between this and a scene. And it's just like, it's, it's very true. Like it's, it's um, they go hand in hand and uh, it's somewhat surprising that Barry Keith Grant doesn't connect them in, in his book, but you know, you have to pick and choose uh, cause there's so many connections to make, but, um, but I was telling you, Arlen, offline of like how funny this is when you think about 
how much of the dialogue rings as like marriage counseling. Uh, like it could double for marriage counseling, especially probably what that sounded like in 1987. You know, stuff like uh, the turning of the keys can obviously hold this, you know, phallic dimension, but also that, you know, there's this like receiving and reciprocating um, all this like sexual compatibility um, and, and also the fraternization uh, stuff, which uh, Grant says something about how funny it is. Cause like the, this place seems so sterile. Like there's, there's no sexuality in the atmosphere that, that, yeah. that, that scene seems so superfluous or not the scene, <laughs> not the scene but that, that dialogue. Uh, but but basically, this really does seem like a place where people are like happy to be, uh, or that they want to be there, and they in, and they all share. It's a place where they know that the people around them share the same morals mm-hmm. and attitudes, totally. and and so it, it becomes like um, a safe place or like a place where they're welcome. And that comes back to this like testmanship and the double or the second chances that we keep seeing people get is that like you know like there's a reason that they're giving them second chances maybe it's because they they view them as like cohabitants in this community and and like you know we're talking about how the actual practical application of the work that they're doing there really isn't any or uh you know it doesn't come to be and so it's like maybe they they probably do realize that and so like that kind of recedes as like pageantry of their daily life. And really it becomes about this community that they're living in and, you know, the barbecuing that we see and like um, just like all the hanging out that they do, the playing softball, all that type of stuff rang to me as um, uh, very sincere. Yeah. There's, there's no room for a brother Wilfred here, you know, no, that, that, absolutely w- not. that would be uh, cataclysmic, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you get the same, same, I think in, sorry, Dan, uh, the, is it Sinai field mission? You get also that like scene about like, well, we need to make sure we're folding up the deck chairs and stuff. And it's like all this stuff about like the same type of etiquette. And like, mm-hmm. yeah. like if you were running a co-op, you would be having the same conversation that we see them having here about the half eaten Twinkie. <laughs> yeah. Um, the military base as a is sort of like cloistered community um, because you know it, it uh, they have the families there and they have uh, it's it's these are communities that like are intentional in that they you know they exist for a specific purpose but no alongside that purpose like everyday life is there and they you know they tweak these so that they have um, all their amenities nearby and they're quasi hermetic. Um, I think Vandenberg's like relatively remote for a base, right? There's like not really many major. Uh... You know, it's it's interesting. I, I went to Santa Barbara for college, and and I've been up and down on uh, Amtrak a couple times. And there's a stretch right after you leave the station that, um, you know, you see all these kind of like launch platforms and like space looking things. And it wasn't until researching Vandenberg that I thought of that and realized, oh my god, the train goes right through like these launch sites or something, they're probably like missile launch pads all over the place. You can't see, but it, it's, yeah, it's nestled kind of in the Santa Barbara Hills um, towards the ocean. Yeah. And um, you can actually see a lot of, uh, I think that the scene comparison is a good one. Uh, shout out to Peter Luza, my former roommate. Um, and <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it's like um, it has its own like just peculiarities of, 
which a lot of which is informed by the um, specific uh, lingo and um, codes of conduct that evolve amongst military people and the odd ways that when that what happens in that is uh, sort of cross-pollinated with civilian life where you're living in that this this uh, in-between space where you're on the job and you're in this environment uh, but also you know your family is closer at hand too um, which I guess also matches the sort of in-between nature of the film where like they are uh, training because like um I know that they, they house missiles at Vandenberg, but correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that they're being trained to, like, you know, be stationed at the more remote silos that there are at, like, even more mm-hmm. out-of-the-way places across the U.S., sometimes uh, very random if you look up where they actually are. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that, that fits into that, too. Um, in some ways, like, you know, uh, a military base also um, overlaps in some ways of, like, gated communities. Um, and you For have sure. that kind of, like ensconced um not quite hermetic but uh very much like sheltered from the rest of the world and so you have these people who forge these bonds based on that and again i can't help but keep bringing it back to this but like then it's just like that's unremarkable until you think about like what it is that they're bonding around yeah and (laughs) and and the lack of diversity amongst the group as well well, it was interesting too. Just thinking about it as a gay community, one of the first uh, shots is is like these two uh, soldiers just like smiling and saluting at every car that drives through. You know, this like welcome home uh, soldier sort of thing, and and the sign I think Mamber notes, you know, says welcome to space and missile country. You know, it it is this uh, removed, sealed off world that that exists. You know, within our own that that we're not able to see, but. Um, yeah, the the thing, Dan, you were saying about, like, where they might actually end up, one of the things I found that, that was just kind of interesting was this is um, right after the Reykjavik summit, um, and two treaties came out of that, and part of uh, that was, was a partial disarmament uh, that closed down some of these continental ICBM uh, stations and and because I was looking up, a lot of them said they're coming from uh, some place called Whiteman, uh, which is in Missouri. Uh, and part of the treaty that came out of Reykjavik was that they had to shut down that base as an ICBM launch site. Uh, it, it would then go on to to do the the uh, stealth bombers. Um, but it couldn't be used as like an ICBM site. So I, I was curious if maybe some people were transferred uh, from Whiteman over here, but but it, it, it does certainly establish, you know, we have sites like this, you know, many of them uh, geographically spread out, like, which is, you know, another chilling thought. Again, just thinking about the, the capabilities of one uh, Peacekeeper missile. Yeah, um, speaking of like the that sort of isolation of the work. Um, you mentioned, of course, the how in some ways what they're doing here presages drone warfare. Um, that put in my head the idea of like Frederick Wiseman's drones, um, <laughs> which I feel <laughs> I, I feel would be like you could not possibly ethically actually like capture or watch. Um, It'd be I, tough, yeah. It would be, you know, it would be very sterile and like very G-rated and then you're just like, Oh no, they're murdering people. I just watched them murder someone. Yeah. I don't. I don't know yeah. how I would feel about that. Right. Um, yeah, I've, I've seen like uh, art installations that that kind of do that, but they're in public spaces. I mean, 
which Wiseman's would too, but, and, and there's no murder, but like, just like, you know, 90 second loops or whatever. And, um, it's very bizarre and chilling, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, you um, mentioned, uh, like considering the Essene thing, there is one, um, religious element in the film, which is towards the end, yeah, of, course, of course, they have the memorial service for the challenger, um, astronauts, uh, which I found very fascinating, both for one thing, you know, as this portrait of this place's community, um, but also just how this represents, you know, a different, a very different application of the same fundamental technologies of like rocketry. Um, but, but of course, the space shuttle program was this very optimistic, aspirational ideal of going to space for the sake of science and of course, yeah. that was always tied in with this like sort of nationalist idea of the states, and there right. there is always this tie between NASA and the military that cannot be ignored. Um, but still, like one cannot deny like that element of it, and like how it represented a more positive like ideal of um, you know the uh, the government's like usage of funds for um, rocket technology and that high science. Um, and then, you know, Challenger is like hardly the end of the space shuttle program, but symbolically you can very much see that, that sort of like, because, especially because, you know, if you look in a Challenger, that in the end, that came down to just because of cuts to NASA that made them be sloppy. Um, NASA always worked best when like they just gave them enough money that they could go through all the insane, uh, rigorous mm-hmm. procedures that they were doing. Um and then again, this is all like thinking like just in context, that's funny to think about because you see now this uh, program that is put, they put unimaginable funds into where they're frequently very sloppy and they're permitting <laughs> all of these slip ups. Um, yeah, given if, if these people were like at NASA, like there would be so many more challenger <laughs> accidents. Yeah, right. Um, so you see these people who are given priority by um, the government, again, especially against the backdrop of Reagan's America, um, you see that they are the preferred ones within this realm of like rocketry, uh, bearing witness to what happened to their more neglected um, cousins, you could say, within yeah. the United States government. Yeah, that, that's that's really sharp um, mm-hmm. and well put. You know, I think I think that scene is is remarkable for how it's sort of uh, rolls out into the revelation of what they're talking about, you know, and, and you, you do come to the, to the fact that it's the challenger thing. Um, but then you have Colonel Ryan, who, who's the first guy we see talking about, you know, the, the symposium and he's leading the hymnal. Um, (laughs) and like, like it's, it's almost, uh, uh, kind of like you're saying there, this, this related family in, in rocketry, like, like, um, a, a father's lament you know this this colonel this person of authority in the organization who's leading people down this path of like missiles and rockets um and and what can result you know and it, it could be a presage too of the future you know it could be a hymnal for all the people yet uh to be affected by their work here at vanderberg right um but then the scene that follows you know this is kind of a very prototypical Weissman scene. And he's established churches and Christianity uh, as like such a presence throughout his films and a locus of community that it's hard, you know, not to start to think about 
that community by this point, if you haven't already, but immediately following, uh, cause it seems like the church scene would be a fitting Weissman closer, you know? Right. right. But we get yeah. one more speech. You see you know? the shot yeah. of the church yeah. and the taps, the taps. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, grab my coat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But no, yeah, he's, he's got one more guy, uh, to show us this, this 40 year, you know, record, uh, guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let me humbly remind you now that for some 40 years, over 40 years now since the end of the World War II, we in the armed forces following out the guidance and instructions of our fellow citizens as we are members of an armed force and do what our elected leaders tell us to do, have helped to keep our country free. Every day we keep our country free. We give men and women in other professions more time to solve the problems confronting the world. Every time we perform alert, we give confidence to our national leaders so that they can carry on their responsibilities in leading this great nation of ours. But I want to submit to you today, and I make this point often, that this we give confidence to our national leaders that we can do what our country wants us to do and provide then an effective deterrent force. We also, by being on alert, remind the leadership in the Soviet Union, or frankly any nation that would seek to threaten our country with the use of terrorism, let alone the use of military force, that we're not a nation to be treated lightly. And I often remind myself that there's a Soviet general somewhere who has 40 years service and he's a paratrooper and he's a gliderist and a master missileer and a space commander and all those things that I am because that's also his profession and his job every day as he leads and contributes somehow to decision making in the Soviet Union is to know that men and women like you and I are on alert all the time with the wherewithal to provide our country with a very very strong deterrent force and I need him every day to remember, in the words of General Power, who said his job was to make sure that the Soviet leadership, as they looked at the Strategic Air Command forces every day, turned to the other senior leadership and said to them, not today, comrades. Frankly, not today, not tomorrow, not next month, not ever. Very, like, kind of typical military jingoism he's speaking to like his imagined counterpart in the soviet union uh, who who he envisions like mirroring his own experience one-to-one and they're like just opposite sides of the same uh, uh sort of conflict um but he says like community involvement is a hallmark of us you know like like really driving it home like he's trying to reiterate the values espoused within the community and of course this like stinger of a closing line which i think even for weissman was like very noticeably cut short you know mid-sentence yeah, yeah. you know mm-hmm. so it, it really draws attention to it in that way i think too uh and i repeat this often uh, we're people who are concerned about our god and like it's 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 almost one long scene between the mm-hmm. church and this guy, right? Like, like it's just the same continuation, this total conflation of like church and state, like religion and ideology. And of course, you know, it makes you think about just the contradictions and vague uh, statements that abound throughout this film. And like, if we're so concerned about our God, why are we involved in this work at all? Right. Like, yeah. 
Well, it's also very funny that he is addressing his like imagined uh, Soviet equal, um, because you know if you look in again look into the history of nuclear near misses, near misses um, one of the more famous incidents is when Stanislav Petrov, um, you know, he became known as a man who saved the world because when there was a false alert um, about a nuclear attack, he correctly judged that it was a false alert and did not um, launch a retaliatory attack. Um, now, when he did that, that was in violation of protocol, which means that he did like what the people in this film are explicitly instructed be trying to be trained not to do. He did actually like refuse the order when it came down to it. Um, as far as I know, there's like no equivalent um, uh, incident like that in the United States on its end. Um, again, it's more of the in the realm of just like scary fuck ups that caused bombs to almost be dropped on civilian centers or almost exploding near civilian centers. Um, but thinking like if the equivalent thing happened, like would any American like. I don't know. Would it be like the opening again of War Games, where the guy can't bring himself to do it, which which leads the brass to determine that we need to let artificial intelligences run our uh, nuclear um, launches? But uh, I don't know. I, I I watch this and I think like, oh no, we, we're psychos. We would do it absolutely <laughs> for sure. Well, there's all that, that a lot of this keeps making me think like whether it's the location of the base or the stuff that you're talking about, like that there is like uh, for Americans this like coerced consent, right? Like. Uh, yeah. Whether it's like, oh, that we'll have this base next to us, even if it's like slightly remote or that um, we'll sign off on this. Like, yes, you're protecting us kind of um, idea. But um, I wanted to go back, uh, Arlen, you were talking about the abruptness of the ending on the word God. And um, it's funny because and Mamber details this uh, pretty well in his diary, but there are so many moments where it cuts off like throughout the movie and like abruptly. And like, I just found myself keep re- like rewinding because like, uh, like we talked about with Mamba on the last episode, you're never sure when the scene's going to end. Right. And so, and then it ends and you go, wait, wait, I got <laughs> to think about what that means. And why did he end on that? And, and this one, like you're right. It, it ends so abruptly, like it's not a clean cut. And at first I didn't really know what to do with that other than be like, Oh, like, he, he couldn't smooth it out or something. But uh, Benson and Anderson, I really like that they just, they're able to um, kind of uh, write about that eloquently in ways that would be hard to summarize. But it made me think about how also, much like the opening of Hospital with the scalpel, it's like, this is Wiseman being like, I'm the god of this. <laughs> like, like, this is very much, this is my construction. And, and I get to play god with, with this uh construction of mine and and he's he's showing us his version Hmm. right on well um dan uh was there anything that we didn't hit that you want to talk about um i mentioned early on that this was part of a continuum of american documentaries in the time and 80s specifically that was addressing nuclear war um you know sort of radio um uh atomic cafe is like this very very good look back this um assaultive almost montage of cultural uh, ephemera around the idea of nuclear war, um, which creates this sort of psycho sphere of um, what it giving you like this idea of like what it must have been like to grow up against that and just pointing out how ridiculous it was. Um, It's a really good documentary. Um, Radio Bikini is of course about the nuclear tests in the Pacific, which is an element of nuclear warfare that, often like is forgotten how the military straight up displaced thousands of people from their homes uh 
and also lied to them about the um, potential harms of what they were doing. Uh, so I'd rec highly recommend that. I think they would make a good triple feature with this. Um, mm. Yeah, and uh, I think that it, the film stands interesting uh, coming, you know, as you said, right as new treaters were being drawn up around the use of nuclear weapons and nuclear stockpiles. And of course, this is only a few years before the Soviet Union collapses, which completely changes the global paradigm of nuclear arsenals and, um, you know, destroys the old um, uh, standard of mad uh, mutually, yeah, mutually assured destruction and then ushers in this new age of um, continuing now under a unipolar world led by United States, but like with multiple other powers also producing, having nuclear stockpiles and the potential of nuclear war still existing, even though it has very much receded from the forefront of public consciousness. Um, so in some ways, the film is this elegy for the mad years, um, the mad era of the Cold War, but also I think that it remains very much um, on point, especially since if you look into nuclear procedure, um, one thing that is striking about it is how outdated a lot of the technology is around nuclear missile silos and uh, all that. It's kind of scary. Um, a lot of it is still very much analog and uh, particularly around the security of the codes, is uh, frighteningly lackluster. One of those things that, again, if you look at that, you look at the history chronicled in command and control, it seems astonishing that there has not been an accidental nuclear detonation or launch yet. Yeah, that reminds me that, like, Wiseman talks about how, like, he was able to to shoot this movie as long as what he didn't like uh shoot the the codes or something like that he's like i didn't yeah, want to yeah. know i don't, I don't want to know them <laughs> um if i if i could just hop on uh, and piggyback dan real quick um you know i think this is also a time where the anti-nuclear movement was very strong in the 80s and and um was examining not just sort of the implications of nuclear warfare, but how it was already impacting uh, people at home, you know, especially post Three Mile Island. Um, but another doc I just want to call out uh, is Dark Circle um, by Judy Irving, uh, Chris Beaver, and Ruth Landy, um, uh, Bay Area-based filmmakers, um, which looks at the kind of health results of the population who lives around um, a Colorado nuclear weapons site. Um, and the way even these missiles unlaunched, you know, are having adverse human impacts on, on Americans, uh, let alone, you know, the people they're, they're pointed at potentially. Um, so, so that's a good one people can find. Um, and I also want to call out um, Mark Nemchik's, uh, who's a programmer at Mubi now. Uh, he has a great short I programmed a few years back called Lost, mm. Lost Paradise. Um, who, which is about kind of an eccentric, wealthy man who has made a home in a nuclear in a decommissioned nuclear silo, like multi-story kind of basement skyscraper situation. Uh, it's very good and entertaining, and just kind of illustrates the ways, even though um, we do continue to live under this kind of sort of Damocles. Uh, the nuclear conversation has definitely moved away from the focus of like global discourse, even, even though it's coming back up a bit now uh, with situations uh, East, but like the ways in which uh, nuclear programs and, and culture continue to like reverberate uh, in modern society. Interesting. 
Well, um, thank you, Dan, for talking uh, to us with, um, about this film and, and sharing knowledge um, of yours. Uh, it was a pleasure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks so much for coming. Yeah, of course. Emergency LCC evacuation is required anytime personal safety is in jeopardy. It means if you have any fear for your life, you get out of there. So what? That's only equipment downstairs. We can only put so many crew bears through this course at a given time. Crew bears are valuable. Ask yourself. Ask that? Ask SAC? Yes, they love crew bears. They're not going to let you go. They're going to hold on to you.